Lord, I come.
Where can we go, Lord, from your spirit? We need you, O oh God, every day, every hour, every minute. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your spirit to be our teacher, our comforter, our guide. Our light in the darkness, Lord. Amen. Please be seated. we could continue our, our time of prayer um, just singing that song and just just I was praying for all of us in this room that the, the, the longing for God that that song was expressing could really truly have been just a, uh, a prayer could really have been from the, the depths of our heart that we're Lord crying out to you saying that we, we need you Lord we're frail, we are, we are weak apart from you. We have nothing and we are nothing, Lord. And Lord, we, we, we think of all the churches around us, Lord, this morning who are gathering, Lord, that are talking about you and, and, and lifting up praise to you, Lord. We, we ask that you would bless them, Lord. And that together, Lord, the city of Wilmington, Lord, could just be and enter into a season of just re spiritual renewal, Lord where so many can come to meet you and healing can be found in this place, Lord. Lord, would you equip us for such a work, equip us for that job, Lord, the purpose of why you placed us here on this corner. And so, Lord, as we enter into this time of, uh, continue our time of worship into the preaching of your word, would uh, your words be spoken and not my own? We thank you for your scriptures, Lord, and just the authority they are in our life and the gift they are to us. And may we be uh, changed by them this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. That was good. Thank you, worship team. Well, we are continuing this sermon series as we uh, um, continue to approach uh, the vineyard as we approach that uh, that that vote at the end of September, if we're becoming a vineyard church, uh, we've been looking at their values that kind of uh, shape the network of churches called the vineyard, about 550 or so churches, and uh, this value this week is uh, called experiencing and worshiping God, experiencing and worshiping God. Um, such a broad topic, right, to experience God, but I think the best place to begin with is to understand something really important about the very nature of God when it comes to us experiencing him. God himself is something to be experienced. I say something on purpose too, right, because he's wholly other, meaning there's nothing in this universe like God. He is wholly other, wholly unique in who he is and his majesty and his power and in his glory. And also God is, he's one, but he's three, right? This is what the Christian church has been teaching for thousands of years, that God himself is three in one and one in three. And one way that we could say this, and maybe you haven't thought of this before, but one way we could say this, God has been in community and relationship 
with himself for all of eternity. He has been in community with himself for all of eternity. In other words, he has never truly been alone. On the first page of our Bibles, this community, this trinity, this God in one and one in three, they were all at work together in unison and harmony when they created the world, when he created the world, when they created the world. It's the ultimate paradox to mystery of one and three. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God the Father, creator of heavens and the earth. We see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, and we see the Word of God coming forth from the mouth of the Father, and through the power of the Spirit, what was spoken as the Word went out became reality. Pastor Tim Keller, one of my biggest influences in life, he, he refers to the Trinity as the divine dance. You think, well, that's an odd way to describe the Godhead, three in one. Um, But what he meant by this, he wasn't the first one to say that, what he meant by this is that in our culture today, like dancing's not exactly a thing we do, except like maybe at weddings or something, or like, you know, it's not, it used to be a a really big cultural thing to, you know, dance, um, because we, you know, the TVs and things weren't really there, so people passed the time and you know, folk dancing and things like that. And so we, we homeschool our kids. And just to give, I think, a good example of this divine dance imagery, um, my kids, uh, they were studying like Dutch history, I think it was, and they, they uh, discovered this, um, this folk dance from, I don't know, like 1500s uh, Denmark. And uh, it was like a, you know, celebration of the king in their country or something like that. But um, it was this little song, and there's like a little dance attached to it. It involved four people, and it involved, you know, like locking arms and going in circles and creating bridges and going east the bridges. And, you know, the older kids were like, we're just not going to do this. Like, I have six kids, the three older ones, the three little ones, and the older ones are like, we're just not going to dance in our living room. This is weird. We're not going to do it. But we started doing it. And within like two minutes, everyone was laughing, tripping over each other, just having the grandest of time. And then like we had two groups of four, there's eight people in our family, so four of you here, they just had a blast, right? And there's a unison, there's a harmony that comes with that. There's a participatory nature in that. And that's how we need to think about God. He is in community with himself, but he wants to share himself with us. As image bearers of God, he wants to just pour himself into his creation. It'd be really strange to say something like, you know, if we go back to the folk dancing thing, like, you know, I've studied folk dancing my entire life, but I've never actually, like, done it before. You know, say you're in school or something, like, I've studied it for 10 years, but I've never done it. Like, it'd be like saying, I've I've studied God for my whole life and learned all about him, but I've never have experienced him. It'd be a strange thing to say. He is one to be experienced. So I think we all want to experience God. I can't tell you how many times just in pastoral settings somebody says, I really just want to hear from God. Like I need to hear from him. I need to know that he's with me. I need to, 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 to know that his presence is with me because this time is just dark and so difficult. Pastor, how do I, how do I hear from God? How do I need him? We, we need his comfort, his, his guiding voice to, to speak to us. Whenever somebody 
you know, speaks with you in those kinds of ways. There's like a, this validation of our own humanity that happens when you know this person cares about me. And they're taking time to speak loving words into me. And we all desire that from God, right? And this is what we're going to talk about this morning are these dynamics because they're all over the scriptures, all over the scriptures. So the first part we're going to look at today is really kind of trying to break this down, this idea of knowing God versus knowing and experiencing God, okay? Because there's that kind of dichotomy in modern times that we can divvy up, right? Head knowledge versus heart knowledge when the scripture says those two things aren't separate, but we've tended to, you know, break them off together. But let's look into this. Um, When Jesus walked this earth ministering with the 12 and he had many other followers and disciples, men and women. Um, he, he taught them all. He said, I am going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to be raised. Luke 9, 22, he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He said this numerous times in his ministry, okay? But then he died. Most of his disciples scattered thinking, oh no, he's dying. He told you he was gonna die. But they didn't understand. They knew, they heard the words, but they still scattered. And when he died, it was just a very bleak time. It was a very dark time. And even though he said, I, was, I will be raised on the third day, a group of his followers on the third morning show up to the tomb. They're carrying spices, a customary thing to bring to a grave. And to set the scene on this Sunday morning, the first Easter morning, we have Mary Magdalene, a woman named Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other, other unnamed women. They were actually there the day before, watched, and they watched him where he was buried, so they knew exactly where the tomb would be. Here's how Luke tells this story beginning in chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. I think I would too, right? But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Just a little side comment. Who were the first people to receive knowledge of the resurrection? Women, right? In an ancient patriarchal society, this was a big, big deal. Just letting you know, it's a big deal. Right after Jesus died and he was buried, Lou tells us these women who had witnessed where he was buried, they went and they saw the stone rolled away and Jesus said, yes, I'll be raised on the third day. But like everyone else, it was just this, they they heard the words, they knew the words, but just something didn't quite connect. And they saw this, this huge stone rolled away and they said they wondered. They were like, what is going on, right? What is happening? And that's when those people that were flashing like lightning appeared beside them. That's a crazy thing. I never had people that are flashing like lightning appear beside me before. That's a wild experience, right? But it happens. It's these angelic messengers, these divine messengers. They fall to the ground more in like an awe 
you know, not so much the fearful awe kind of feeling when they bow down. There's a little bit of sarcasm in, in the angel's voice, but we pay attention to it. He says, why do you look for the living among the dead? Like a tomb is for those who have perished. But that's not Jesus. He's not here among the dead. He's among the living. In other words, they're like, what are you guys doing here? You remember what he told you? That he on the third day would be raised? And it says, then they remembered his words. And you can read the rest about how they went back and told the disciples and they were like, Psh, you guys are crazy. Is that Peter who ran back and like checked it out? You know, they were all skeptical of what the women saw and what they heard. But what I want to point at here is that they knew Jesus' words up here. They remembered his words. But it wasn't until they truly saw and experienced that open tomb where those words became real for them. They said, oh, now I get it. Now I'm standing looking at this empty tomb and now I get it. Here's what I want us to say this morning. It is one thing to know the words of Jesus, the words of scripture, and I really hope you do. We're gonna talk a lot about the Bible this morning. The Bible is our authority. We'll talk a lot about the authority of Scripture this morning. Please know your Bible. Please read it like daily. Have habits of reading and memorizing the Scriptures. But it's a whole different thing to experience the God who inspired the words. Not different thing. Let me rephrase that. It, It completes our reading of Scripture when we experience the God who inspired. The words of scripture it completes the whole experience of reading the bible when we experience the god who inspired it we are a church here at emmanuel that that believes and and not just believes but we we try to minister and, and act on this like we truly believe that god is active among us today that here you and i cannot just know about god but actually experience him and i want to give a little bit of a, a, bit of a testimony um I don't know, this is three or four years ago. It was January, and I do like a, a year, you know, in the Bible, sometimes like a little more than that when I work through the Bible in a year, okay? And also, just like in ministry, you spend a lot of your time reading this, right, and studying, it's just kind of, it is a part of my job, but also I, you know, did this on my own as well. And I felt like a fatigue that January morning. I was like, oh, another Bible reading plan. And I was like, well, why? The Bible shouldn't fatigue me. That's strange. Like, what am I feeling right now? And I kind of stopped and just, I remember I was praying. And I was like, Lord, like, what is, what is going on? What's the source of my t- fatigue? Like, you know, how, how can I get excited about this, this you know, th- to really be in the scriptures again this year? And, you know, I really felt God say something very clearly to me. And he said, you know the Bible but are you taking time to know me? You know the Bible. I mean, I don't know everything about it. Nobody can spend lifetime studying it, sure, but he said, do you know me? Are you gonna take time this year to know me? Maybe some of you are in the same boat this morning, right? Maybe some of you are Bible nerds like me and you love just going deep into the Bible, but do you know the God who inspired them? You can have PhDs in this thing and tell me way more than I'll ever know in my life, but have zero relationship with God. Do you know the God who inspired the scriptures? Um, I know a lot of you in this room, some of you may come from different backgrounds. I came from a background in Christianity that basically said the Bible is like the third part of the Trinity. 
There's a lot of Christian traditions that kind of go that route. We know the Bible is inspired by God. To be very clear, this is a foundation and authority of, of how we understand who he is, how we learn of who he is. It's the final one. Like there's no other equal authority in the life of the church aside from this. No person, no church leader, no one. This is the authority, the final stop of you and I knowing about God. But there's something that did not happen on Pentecost morning did not happen. In Acts chapter 2, this is what did not happen on Pentecost morning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound like the flapping of pages of a book. This is a joke, by the way. It's supposed to be laughter. Cue the laughter. And leather-bound Bibles from heaven appeared before each of the disciples where they were sitting. And different translations of the Bible appeared before them, and they rested before each of them. And they read and memorized the Bible each in their own translations. That was not the Pentecost story. They sit and float down from heaven and appear right there. The Holy Spirit was sent from heaven to fill and to empower. And their encounter with God was so powerful, so tangible, people thought that they had actually lost their minds or may even have been drunk. And the way to understand, you know, the the Spirit is is given to us. It is uh, God sharing himself with us. And we have the authority to scripture. How do we navigate these two things? Craig Keener, one of my favorite Bible scholars out of Asbury Seminary, the way he says it is very clear, and I'll share this with you. He says, any experience we have in life is, to use a fancy word, it's subjective, right? For example, if I take you to the Rocky Mountains, and we're both looking at the, the grandeur of the Rocky Mountains, it's the same mountain, but the things I'm feeling or thinking will be probably different with what you are thinking and feeling, even though we're looking at the same mountains, right? Um, Experiences are going to be subjective. The Bible's given to us for many reasons, but one of them is for the authoritative words of scripture that are inspired by God to measure and understand our own experiences of God. That is, when we have an experience in our relationship with God, when he speaks to us, when we have an encounter with him, we use the Bible to say, you know, what happened? Like, how do I understand what just happened? Do these scriptures agree with it? Because this is ultimately our authority, and those two things must work together. You guys tracking so far? You guys tracking with this? That's very important that we understand that. We don't reject one for the other. This does not usurp the ministry of the Spirit, nor does the ministry of the Spirit usurp the Scriptures. We are beneath authority of Scriptures, and we interpret our relationship and encounters with God that occur in our life through the words of Scripture. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk practically about experiencing God, because the Scripture is full, completely full of stories of men and women who experienced God. And so how do we do this? How do we do this? I think a lot of it begins really inside of us. And the first thing I want to talk about is to experience God means that you have to begin desiring him. To, re- to, really, to reread those scriptures that we opened up our service with today. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We're, we're actually moving out of our house right now and into a new house because we're crazy. And um, moving is such a blast. It's crazy. Moving's crazy. If anybody loves moving, I, 
you know, you're welcome to come and, and, um, and, and help. But yesterday morning, I rented the Home Depot truck. They're great when you don't have a truck. But, you know, you're charged by the minute. So I was hauling stuff. And somehow, you know, putting stuff, we had this big old, we found it on the curb, these, uh, you know, um, wicker pieces that were all falling apart. But one was in our basement. And for the life of me, I have no clue how it got there. Clearly, it was too big. Like, I don't know how it got in our basement. We tried, we pushed. I'm like, how did this get in here? Like, I, I don't know. It wasn't leaving. So I had to, like, bust it apart. It's metal. The, my, my saw's always broken, so I tried to use that. It wasn't going to work. Couldn't find my sledgehammer. Kids are playing with it, which is a terrible thought. Like, <laughs> where is the sledgehammer? I don't know. Um, and so it was a long, tedious process of banging up this, this metal-framed couch to get it out of my basement. And I knew, like, this cost me 45 bucks of rental time for the truck just to get this thing out of the basement. That's okay. I found it on the curb, so that's okay. But I, I, I was finished. I was drenched in sweat, right? And um, went upstairs, and the kids were like, wow, you smell bad. I was like, I know. I'm just, like, drenched in sweat. But I got a cup of water, and I drank that water. And I was like, oh, this is... Oh, it's just exactly what I needed. I was so thirsty and parched. I had more water. And this verse just like hit my mind. It just like, I was longing for water and thirsty for water. I really needed it. But just reminded of the psalm that says, that's the kind of longing we need for him. That's the kind of longing, that parched feeling. Just Lord, that I, I need you. I need you. I'm longing for you. When is the last time like, you could really honestly identify in your life that kind of longing, longing deep in your soul for God himself, for the living God, because he is alive? When has that been said from you? I long for him. But also in that, in that, in that verse, part two here, I want to focus on is he, he's not just he, longing for God. He, he, he knows that there's a reality if you long for God, he, he, there's an anticipation of actually meeting with him. It's not a question if he's going to be meeting with God through his longings. He anticipates it. When shall I come and appear before God? Like, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to go and appear before God. The, these psalms were actually, a lot of them are written um, as, as ancient worship kind of songs that in those days, there was a temple in Jerusalem. God's presence was there. And there was different pilgrimages for people throughout the year that they live in different parts of Israel that would, you know, make their way to the temple in Jerusalem. And this is probably one of those psalms. And it's a psalm of preparation, saying we're on the way to Jerusalem. We get to meet with God. When will we get to meet with God? There's a translation here I want to read from... Um, Eugene Peterson's The Message, which I, I really enjoy reading. This is the way he, uh, he was a scholar in himself. He translated these verses in, like this. He says this, A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God. Deep drafts of God. I am thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it arrive and drink in God's presence? When you come to service on Sunday or, or small groups are starting soon, when you go to Bible studies or, or small groups where you know other Christians will be there, you know that the, that the, the words want to be studied and people are going to be praying together and ministering to each other. Do you have an anticipation? You're not just going to some like group. You're not just going to a Sunday service. Like God is there. Like I'm going to appear before God. 
himself, the God who created all things, the God who sent his own son to die for me, the God who sent down his spirit to fill me and to share himself with me, he's going to be there and I'm going to where he is and he's in all of his people and they are bringing God with them as well. Those who know Jesus, who have a Holy Spirit, we're all going to be meeting with God. Do you have that kind of anticipation when he come on Sunday mornings or come to gatherings of our church? Do you anticipate his work among you? Now the third part here, we're gonna dig into a little more scripture here because I know this topic is broad. But as we desire him, as we anticipate him, we, we, we need to learn to receive the work of his spirit. Because he's active, he's alive, he's working out. To learn to receive it. There's a, a book I'm sure I'll never write, but I'm fascinated by this because I'm sure there's one already out there that i got to find it. Because um, if you read the New Testament, um, and also the Old Testament, but especially the New Testament, there's, there's so many verses scattered about that you know, if you have a church background, we talk about, you know, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit. And there's certain parts of the New Testament that are gone to all the time. But there's dozens and dozens of other scriptures that speak of the Holy Spirit's work in our life that we don't talk about or associate so much with the ministry of the Spirit as we should. And I just want to read one of those out of like 20. I had to cut off like 15 pages of my sermon because, you know, you guys were probably getting hungry already. This is just one of the instances, okay? And it's fascinating. There's a lot of subjective experiential stuff in this prayer of Paul here, okay? Listen to this, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and this is, this is from Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 20, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, you can read um, all of his accounting of the work of Jesus, of God's grand and wonderful plan of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ, and he states all of that, and he says, for this reason, church, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers, here's his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. There's way too much detail. I can't go super deep into it, but just a couple of things to consider. The Holy Spirit is described as a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, you remember, Paul was not an American, okay? He was not from America. He did not have a Western worldview, if you want to call it that. Neither did the people he was writing to, okay? When we think of knowledge, what comes to your mind? Usually like dusty libraries or something, right? Just a bunch of old leather-bound books. Like, oh, there's lots of knowledge in there. Um, nobody had like, I mean, the rich and powerful maybe had libraries in Paul's world, but there was no even, not even a typewriter. If there was a book, it's because somebody wrote it by hand, okay? Imagine the, the length of time that took. It was very expensive. And on top of that, most people couldn't even read. They heard the words of Scripture, right? Read aloud by those who could. 
It was an oral culture. Things were um, uh, passed down orally. And so when we talk about knowledge here, yes, there's learning of Scripture. There's learning things, and that's what Paul is also referring to. But combined in the, in the worldview of, of, of Paul as he wrote this would have been knowledge that is experiential knowledge as much as it is um, uh, information-driven knowledge. And that's very important to know. We can't separate those two things in the mind of the biblical authors. Wisdom is learned through experience. And Paul says the spirit of wisdom. We know that a lot of wisdom we get in life is through life experiences of things that you didn't experience before that you go through a really difficult time and you come out of it with wisdom, right? And Paul says, yeah, the spirit of God can, can, can give you the wisdom that you're looking for. The act of revealing, of revelation, that word um, means apocalypse. It means the unveiling, right? You think of um, the, uh, the old Apple, like Steve Jobs things when he would like unveil the new iPhone, you know, it's like, ooh, ah, like that's an apocalypse. There's an unveiling of something. And Paul is saying the spirit can unveil more of God to you can bring you revelations of of understanding and knowledge of him. He can give you an apocalypse, literally, is what that word means. Day in and day out, these things are available to us. I truly believe if we only have eyes to hear and hearts to receive. Using scripture as our guide, right, the wisdom of the spirit, the revelation of more of who God is. Yes, it's available to us in scripture, but all throughout our day. Anybody see the moon this week? It was crazy. I was like, is it like coming closer to us right now? Like, this is, I never seen it so big and so clear, right? We had a telescope and of course my kids broke it, but I wish we still had it to look at it. But we aren't the only ones. If you stood like looking at the moon thinking, oh yeah, like, we're on this ball floating in space, surrounded by infinite amount of galaxies in the infinite space, and God created all of this, and he knows me. I don't know if your mind went there. Mine usually does when I think of space and see the moon and goes to this. I'm not the first one. Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You can experience and have a revelation of who God is, yes, by looking at the moon. The psalmist surely did enshrine this in scriptures for us to read and to then re-experience ourselves when we are looking at the moon. Who, who am I? that you care for me. Like the, the, the wonders and, the, and the, the majesty of what you have created and you care for me. Who are we? Who am I that you care for me? Paul continues on saying, this is a prayer of his, right? Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. You can't exactly learn about having the eyes of your heart enlightened. You may hear stories and etc. But again, this is experiential language that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to who God is and his salvation that he has worked in Jesus Christ. And this is how the paragraph ends. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe according to the working of his might which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So much going on, but you know, it's, it's 
Not an invitation to stuff data in our minds to say, okay, so there's hope available in Christ. Check, I learned that. There's resurrection power from God available to me in this new life that he's working in, in me, this aimed towards me. I got that data, in my, I got an info point in my head, bullet point, check, done. That's good, learn those things. But Paul isn't saying, hit the box of memorization here and put the, this is an invitation. This is a prayer from Paul. I want you to understand that. Like he's praying that these things, these things may be found amongst this church. And so when you read that, say, Lord, enlighten the eyes of my heart to your salvation in Christ. Reveal yourself to me, Lord. Give me the hope to which you have called me. It's an invitation to experience God. So as we, as we close, some really practical points of like day by day, like how do we do this? Um, you know, like what are super practical things? Like step one, what is it, right? I think this is the right, like this might sound a little off the wall or something, but I don't think it is at all. We need to, to cultivate a wonder of God. A wonder of God. This is what I mean by this. Like your imagination, okay, in your minds, is one of the most sacred places inside of you as a human being. In 2023, you may not think like that. You may think, imagination, like kindergarten, first grade, that's nice. Use your imagination. Draw a picture of a, you know, whatever. Like, no, 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 no. One of the most sacred places inside of you is your and is your own wonder and your own imagination because I'll give you an example for my seven year old Micah okay if you spend a few minutes with my seven year old you will know he is a boy of wonder that kid loves like nature okay he ran in my house yesterday two days ago whatever it was with a little broken shell I don't know what shell it's like an eggshell some animal a bird's nest maybe and he was freaking out I found a shell, you know. So anyway, so the day we were um, we were at this new house for buying. There's lots of woods there, and um, there was just frogs everywhere. And you know, there's a turtle. So I was in the woods and I was exploring the property, and um, I saw the turtle, and I was like, "Oh, there's a turtle, Micah! Look, a turtle." So that was my experience of the turtle. I was I was gone. I was on to the next thing. There's a turtle. Let me tell you, Micah's experience with the turtle. A turtle! And this kid like ran with like all of his might, like you thought, I just found a million dollars of gold, like, you know, bars in the woods. Like this kid ran and just like grabbed briars and pulled him back and like cut his, and you grab the turtle and he just runs off with it. That thing was in our car on the way home. It was in our garage. And I was like, Michael, we can't, this one will die. We got to put it back in the woods. And so we did. But there was two very different experiences of that turtle. Two very different ones. And I want you to consider Jesus' words about having the faith of a child. To look at a child and say, if you're like these little ones, you are knowing and getting knowledge of what the kingdom of God is. Two people can have very different experiences of God. You can say, oh yeah, God, he made all things, he knows me, that's great. Or you can say, I am loved by the God who made all things and this changes everything in my life and I want him to have all of me. Yes, Jesus, I worship you and I glory. Just like Micah ran to that turtle because his wonder is wrapped up in that little alive animal. Where is your wonder? Is it really truly wrapped up in God or is it sold out to cheap things 
in our culture today. There's so many things. I want to quote um, uh, uh, Mr. Rogers this morning. Fascinating man. Read about that guy. He says, I am concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder. We're surrounded by just information, information, information. I think it kills the wonder piece inside of us. Did you know that most of this Bible is poetry? Like most of it's written in poetry. Meaning, when people encounter God and try to take who he is and put it into words for humans to read, they had to start going into like imagery. They had to start describing things outside of even the human experience to try to put in words that we can read to explain this holy and majestic and wonderful God. Because words, how can we describe him? They tried, that's why this Bible's so long, right? Where is your wonder in God? Because you will find, if your imagination is full of his love, of his care for you, you will realize, just like Brother Lawrence did, that famous author, that, that his presence is with you continually, his glory, his, his might is always surrounding you. And so often we just don't even see it because we're not paying attention and our imaginations are wrapped up in other cheap substitutes. Where is your wonder this morning? Some other really practical things. Start out your day with him. What do you do when you first wake up? Oh, Mr. Rogers once again, that's right. What does he say? (laughs) Revelation, I watched the Mr. Rogers thing yesterday, sorry. Revelation comes in silence. How do you only hear God's voice if you're not sitting in silence before him? If you're so hungry for his voice, do you have periods of silence to sit in front of him? Because it is in those moments where you, you will have an experience with him, an encounter with him. Speak with him throughout your day. Pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5.17. Let prayer, just words with him, just become a part of your just all-day conversation with him. And as throughout this process, you're going to learn throughout his, your encounters with him, whether small or large in your life, you're going to be learning how to recognize his hand in your life, learning to recognize his voice and his work in your life. As you experience it, and as you spend more time in the scriptures understanding it, you're going to learn his work in your life. Now I'm gonna share three testimonies and then we'll be done. Three testimonies of people who experience God. Because I wanna show you just what happens when this is cultivated in your life. What can happen when, when this is cultivated in your life. Three, three stories and we'll close. Thomas Aquinas, year was uh, 1273, December 6th, the Feast of St. Nicholas, this guy was an Italian um, super nerd, all right, like he, he wrote this book called the Summa Theologica, it's way longer than anybody would ever read today, and we still study it, like, you know, 800 years later, who wrote books that you study 800 years later, this guy was even famous in his day for just his knowledge and his understanding of philosophy and theology and all these things, and um, he went to service one Sunday morning and he left that service on the Feast of St. Nicholas, December 6th, and he was silent. His friends saw him and said, something's different about our friend Thomas. Said he was different. The next day, his normal patterns were to wake up in, in a flurry of writing and all of his little scribes and friends were helping him get his thoughts down and he woke up and wrote nothing. First time in decades, wrote nothing. And his friends were like, what's wrong? You're breaking your habit. What's going on? This was his response. The end of my labor has come. All I have written appears to be as so much straw after the things that have been revealed to me. 
It was believed that he had an encounter with God that Sunday morning that just absolutely wrecked his world. And he said, I got nothing else to write that could ever, ever compare to what I experienced yesterday. And he actually passed away three months later. The spirit of revelation revealed the God he wrote about so much to him in a powerful, personal manner. Remember when Paul says, the eyes of your heart being enlightened? There you go. Jonathan Edwards, American theologian and pastor in colonial America. He, 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 I cut a lot of this out, but in his own story of his own coming to Jesus and later afterwards, this is what he said after he, he truly had uh, experience with God after reading the scriptures. He read a couple of scriptures and he, he had this moment. This is what, how he describes it. As I read the words of scripture out of 1 Timothy 3, I believe it was, there came into my soul and was, as it was, diffused through it a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense, quite different from anything I had experienced before. I thought with myself how excellent a God he was and how happy I should be if I might enjoy him forever and be wrapped up to him in heaven and be, as it were, swallowed up in him forever. This I know not how to express otherwise than by a calm, sweet abstraction of soul from all the concerns of this world and sometimes a kind of vision or fixed ideas and imaginations of being alone in the mountains or some solitary wilderness far from all people sweetly conversing with Christ and wrapped up and swallowed up in God. There's an experience, friends. And lastly, uh, um, from D.L. Moody, after months of praying that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says this, well, one day in the city of New York, um, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it as almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be a small dust of the balance. I share the stories with you to say that God wants to reveal himself to you. It may not be as dramatic as those people experience, but he wants to reveal himself to you. And so my prayer this morning, God, I pray that you would... Um, Lord, may we be open to this kind of relationship with you, Lord, that your followers had with you, Lord. So many men and women in the scriptures had with you. So many men and women throughout church history had with you, Lord. We want to be people who are hungry for you, who are longing for you, Lord. May we not just be people who have full just data information about you in our minds, but may we be captivated by you, Jesus. We thank you that you died for our sins that you brought us into your family through your, your work of justification on our behalf, Lord. That you were raised from the dead and sent your spirit to give us new life, the very life of heaven today. And may we live that life and embrace that life that you want to pour into us. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray this in your name. Amen.